We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. All right, guys, we have baseball finally, finally, finally back. I know uh, Arden and I were tweeting about this uh, in DMs, like, are we sure? Could we actually call it yet? Like, let's let's uh, let's not jinx anything. But no, I think we're back. We're starting in a couple of days and we want to go back through these AL East previews and make sure we're up to date with everything that's happening uh, on the teams that we're playing for you know the highest percentage of time. So today we're going to be going into the Blue Jays, talking about the whole situation with the team and what they're doing as far as where they're playing and everything that's going on 
uh, around the Toronto. So welcome again to the show, Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet Toronto, who is, uh, he's, he's become our, our Toronto guy, I think, at this point on the show. So Arden, welcome back, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Uh, there, there is still a part of me that is like waiting for, so the Jays <laughs> open on Friday. So uh-huh. I'm going to need to see like Charlie Morton on the mound for the Rays, the baseball in his hand, yep. Bo Bichette stepping into the box. Like I'm going to need to see those things with my eyes before I'm really going to believe this is actually happening. Yeah, I don't blame you. There's there's still a part of me that does this. I'm trying not to talk about it as much just because I feel like um, if I if I imagine things and I talk them true, they will happen. That's where I am at this point. So um, I want it so badly that I think it's, uh, it, it's being willed to happen no matter what. So um, <laughs> yeah, man. So welcome back. Let's uh, let's just, let's talk a little bit about what the, uh, the last, what, three to four months. The last time we talked was in, I think uh, before, it was in March, right? Or no, April, right, right before everything shut down was the last time we had spoken. So how has uh, quarantine and this whole thing been treating you? You still, uh, you, you still doing well and, and, and keeping, uh, keeping safe? Yes. Uh, yeah. When we last talked, I'd like just gotten back from spring training. Right. And I was uh, in quarantine as all Canadians must, when we get back from the United States, we go to quarantine for 14 days. So yeah, I was like confined to my home at, at that point. And that obviously continued then throughout uh, March and April and May and most of June. And then kind of midway through June, we kind of started opening things back up again. Uh, you know, we were able to go get haircuts and stuff and uh, go sit on patios and, and drink pints and stuff. So that's been nice. It's been good that uh, we've gotten the, the case numbers under control here and we've been able to get back to something close to, to normal life. But obviously the virus has not gone away. So we're, we're still still being somewhat vigilant here and we'll see how things progress. So obviously the the latest news that has come out of Toronto camp, the thing we should probably lead with is the the Canadian government decided that they would not allow the the baseball to be played basically in Toronto, and essentially the the Blue Jays are going to have to figure this out. You know, we were talking just before this, and in in my mind, what I, the way I the way I envision a lot of these things happening behind the scenes is that public knowledge becomes exactly that it becomes public when when the um, the party is ready for it to hit the media. But usually in a lot of cases, there are preparations, you know, behind the scenes and people are able to, you know, plan for certain things. Were the Blue Jays caught off guard on this or was this something they were able to, to prepare for a little bit and not being able to play in Toronto? I think they're absolutely caught off guard by it. And it's like it, it, there are several layers um, at play here. And, you know, so the, in the Blue Jays and trying to play the regular season home games in Toronto, they had to get the approval of the, the municipality. So mm-hmm. that would be Toronto, the city. They got that. Toronto signed off on it. Then they needed to get approval from the province, Ontario. Uh, and, and the premier here, Doug Ford, who was kind of like our equivalent of a governor, um, and he signed off on it. He actually came out publicly and said he was looking forward to watching Blue Jays games being played at Rogers Center and that he believed that it was going to happen. We also had a, a member of provincial parliament come out and, and talk very strongly about how they, they had given the approval and, and they put a lot of uh, pressure then upwards onto the federal government, which is like that final hurdle that had to be cleared, but also the most important one, because that's the one that deals with the border and that would deal with the travel between Canada and the United States. Um, And the Blue Jays, I think, expected to get an exemption from the federal government to be able to play the regular season games in Toronto, um, and ultimately did not. And it just came down the other day that the you know public health officials decided that it actually wasn't in the best interest of Canadians to be having frequent travel between uh, here and, and the United States. So I, I think the Blue Jays were actually really caught off guard by that just because 
they had gotten approval from so many other levels of government, but ultimately they couldn't clear that that final hurdle. So now they're just sort of in scramble mode trying to figure out where they're going to play this home schedule. Yeah, and that's crazy thinking about the logistics. This so close to the season starting, obviously 60, 60 game sprint, um, playing a lot of them in the uh, in the division itself. So, what is the latest on this? I, I know this really just happened, so I'm curious as to what <clears throat> the information that they're telling you. I know Buffalo has been floated out there. Obviously, Dunedin is but is a potential landing spot just because they have um, you know some boots on the ground there and, and they're they're familiar with the area. So, what's the what's the latest on where the Blue Jays are going to be playing? If Dunedin would be easy, it would be completely seamless because mm-hmm. the Blue Jays obviously own the, the ballpark down there where they play their spring training games and where the Dunedin Blue Jays play. They actually just recently renovated it and, and spruced it up. They also recently renovated their entire player development complex down there. So they would have absolutely everything that a major league ball player could want or need. The thing they can't guarantee is the actual health of the players down there because obviously the, the case numbers in Florida have been out of control. So players have actually been pretty public in saying, we don't want to go play in Florida. We don't want to be in Pinellas County. Um, so that is now off the table. Buffalo is another um, option that would be relatively easy for the Blue Jays. There's a lot of infrastructure upgrades that have to happen there in terms of the lights, which are not of a major league quality, in terms of the clubhouses and um, the weight room and all the facilities that the big league ball players want and need. And the Blue Jays, have people in Buffalo assessing that right now and are looking at making those upgrades. But again, the players have come out and said, we want to play in a major league facility. They do not want to play in a minor league ballpark for uh, a variety of reasons. So that has led the Blue Jays to explore alternative options of sharing an MLB facility with another club. And there's a bunch of different scenarios there. One of them would be Pittsburgh at PNC Park. And the Pirates have actually come out and made a statement that they would welcome the Blue Jays to come share their facility there and and to play their regular season home schedule in Pittsburgh. Another option would be Baltimore um, and possibly a split between Baltimore and Washington, which are obviously nearby one another. If you you look at, if you envision Camden Park, there's the big warehouse out in in right field. So you could put a, uh, you know, you could put a a clubhouse out there and, and build something for the Blue Jays to be able to use and still respect the distancing protocols that MLB has put in place and all of that. So that's another option. To me, I think the those are those are the most likely options. But I think probably the Blue Jays end up at something of a hybrid in that they start the season on the road, uh, three games against Tampa and then three games in Washington. And then they're actually supposed sorry, two games in Washington. And then they're supposed to host two more games against Washington. So really that two and two home and home with Washington ought to just become four games in Washington against Nationals. And then from there, the Blue Jays were supposed to host the Phillies for three games, um, Philadelphia, like two hours away from Washington. So the Blue Jays could just go to Philly, play at Citizens Bank Park there against the Phillies. Then they go on the road again and aren't, you know, don't have another home date until the middle of August. So that would buy them enough time to either get Baltimore up to speed or Pittsburgh up to speed in terms of building an alternative clubhouse and getting the weight room set up and the distancing and the spacing and making sure the schedules work and all that stuff. It would just buy everybody more time. So I think that that's kind of the hybrid scenario that we're going to see play out most likely. Yeah. And 
you know, when we're looking at home and away, it's not like there's a, a clear disadvantage or advantage for a team now because of, you know, the, obviously the crowds not being there. I think the, con- the the construction of the park is probably something to consider as far as the way that the team has been built. If it's, if there's any considerations for, you know, the, the the fence length or, you know, just certain attributes of the park, I think I'm sure will be considered. But um, with less travel being a positive thing, it does seem like those scenarios that you laid out being in Washington and then Philly, having them just stay at those places and play all of the games in one in one park would make a lot of sense. You know, maybe they can mix in the a Toronto guy DJing the the, the crowd noise for the, for the home <laughs> games. You know, just to just to like throw the uh, a different wrench in there. But it seems like no tra- no travel is a positive thing for what we're dealing with right here. Well, the Blue Jays are picking from a, a variety of unideal options, right? Mm-hmm. It's what is the best of the the bad options? Because the 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 best option for the Blue Jays was to play in Toronto at Rogers Center. It was also the safest option for the Blue Jays. To be clear, every Blue Jay had committed to living in the hotel at Rogers Center and not leaving the building for two straight months. Wow. That is what they were going to do in order to satisfy the very strict quarantine rules that we have in Canada. Any traveler entering Canada from the United States must, under the Quarantine Act, uh, quarantine for 14 days or face um, potentially a $750,000 fine or even imprisonment. Uh, they're, they're very strict rules. And the Blue Jays were going to play by those rules. And they had set up you know, a, a lounge for the players at, at the stadium with some ping pong tables. And they'd set up like a little basketball court in the stadium for them to play at. They had all kinds of like interesting sort of programming going on for them. They had the USC fights up on the Jumbotron uh, a couple weeks ago. And all the players were, were watching that. They had places for them to eat and drink. And they were bringing in Korean barbecue for them and stuff like that. Like they had all this stuff planned. Um, and, and it really would have been safer that way, just from a coronavirus standpoint, because players wouldn't be going out into the community at all. And even here in Ontario, we had 200 new cases yesterday was our case count, mm-hmm. whereas in Florida, they have like 10 to 12,000 a day. So it is just a much safer scenario. But it was the back and forth travel that ultimately caused public health officials to say, look, we, we can't expose you know Canadians to, to this level of, of risk, even if it is minimal. We've done such a good job of mitigating the virus. We don't want to open up a potential vector where it could get back into our community. So it, it, it's no matter what the Blue Jays end up on, it's going to be an unideal option. And it is, in my opinion, going to be a competitive disadvantage to essentially be on a 60 game road trip. Yeah. But that's the reality the Blue Jays are dealing with right now. Yeah. All right, let's talk some baseball on the field. Uh, what's the the general sentiment around the team? You know, three months, uh, March, I'm looking it up. I, I looked it up. March 18th was the last time we spoke. So since March 18th, have have we seen any significant changes? Obviously, uh looks like Vlad's going to be playing a lot of first base. Um, but what's the sentiment around the team and, and how these guys are, you know, looking at this uh, the 60-game sprint and how they're approaching the season? That's the most significant change is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is now a first baseman. And uh, when we did this, Three months ago, whenever that was, he was a third baseman, and the club had he was going to start the season at third base, um, and he had spent the offseason working on his conditioning and doing some things to improve his agility and his first step quickness, and to just be uh, better physically prepared to play that position at the major league level. Um, and then the shutdown happened, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. went to the Dominican Republic, where he is from, and was home there. And I don't know what happened over those two to three months, but he came back and a lot of the progress that he had made had been erased. No longer um, fleet of foot. A, little, <laughs> a lot, lot of food, I, I assume. To, 
I, I haven't, you know, seen the scale numbers, but to my eye, he is much larger now than he was uh, when when he was in, in Dunedin in spring training. Um, so who knows what happened there? But I think that that very much forced the issue of the Blue Jays saying, OK, you're a first baseman now, because I think that the first step quickness, the agility, the range just wouldn't have been there. And we're already dealing, by the way, with a guy who by stat casts outs above average metric was objectively the worst defensive third baseman in baseball last season. So they, it, it didn't look like he was going to be able to make much progress or improvement on that. So I think the Blue Jays just said our best chance of winning is to have a capable third baseman uh, in the lineup every day and let Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just focus on what he's best at and his true best position on the field, which is in the batter's box. So he moves over to first base, um, and the Blue Jays are hoping that he is going to uh, have a much more productive season than he did last year. You know, last year as a 20-year-old in the big leagues, he was an above-average hitter, which is great, and not a lot of people can do that. But there still is a lot more potential there, clearly, uh, for him to be an elite hitter and an MVP-caliber talent um, with the bat in his hands. So the Blue Jays are going to hope to see that improvement from him this year without him playing third base. But otherwise, the the rest of the, the lineup and the rest of the pitching staff is essentially the same as, as it was in spring. That's really the biggest change. And this is this is not just a one year like, you know, coronavirus season move. This is this is something that they're committing to for the duration. Or is this something they're going to look at again in the offseason and say, hey, can we get back and improve the the physical fitness and, and get to a point where we're a little bit more fleet of foot and able to make steps at third base? Realistically, it's going to be permanent. Um, you know, the club has said, look, if he uh, drastically improves his conditioning and, and he gets a faster first step and he can move side to side more uh, with more agility, then sure, we'll revisit it. I think the Blue Jays will be open to that. But realistically, this is he's going to be a first baseman DH for very likely the, the rest of his career. The Blue Jays also have some, some very promising young um, left side of the infield prospects advancing through their system. And Jordan Groshans and Austin Martin, who they just drafted fifth overall in, in this year's draft. Those are two guys. Groshans has come up as a shortstop. Martin as a third baseman. Obviously, they already have Bo Bichette at shortstop, who had a terrific rookie campaign, is going to look to build on that this year. So I think the Blue Jays will, will probably leave third base open if they have to shift Groshans into it um, from shortstop or if Austin Martin comes up as a third baseman. I think that would just be a, a much more optimal alignment than having Vladimir Guerrero Jr. over there, who, like, if he had made a dramatic improvement this season, which it didn't seem like he was going to, but, like, say he did make a dramatic Raphael Devers-esque improvement at third base, he still would have only improved himself to a below average defender rather than simply the worst in baseball. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the the Yankees have a similar situation in uh, Miguel Andujar, who came up, you know, obviously he's there for the bat, big bat, can can um, really take strides in that and become even even more of a, of a dangerous bat, I think, as his career goes on. But the deficiencies were so clearly obvious at third base that you're trying to figure out where is he best successful? You know, is it first base? Is it left field? Is it, you know, primarily at the DH spot, which is a tough place to just entrench someone um, at, at this point. But uh, yeah, they they lucked out, I think, a little bit with um, and got some uh, some fortune with um uh, Urshela coming up and being, you know, a very good third baseman and defensively, and then also showing a, a lot more than anybody expected with the bat. So who's going to be the guy filling in at third base 
uh, to start the season and, and hopefully to uh, to kind of earn that job. Yeah, speaking of Urshela, just as a side note, yeah, the yeah. Blue Jays rue the day that they designated Gio Urshela for oh, assignment. Yeah. Yep, that's how he ended up with you guys. Was yep. that the Blue Jays DFA'd him because? And I I was covering the team at that time. He was putrid in in Toronto. I mean, it was really really bad when he was a Blue Jay. Um, but this is why you give players like him the the rope that you know the, the before the Blue Jays ever did. Cleveland gave him a bunch of major league rope. And then the Blue Jays did, and then obviously the the Yankees did, because a guy like that could put it together and could figure it out, and could suddenly become a 900 OPS player. So that you know, that Brian Cashman was a really really shrewd uh, pickup there. Um, for the Blue Jays, at third base is going to be Travis Shaw most of the time. Um, you know, left-handed hitter who uh, we'll see how he does against left-handed pitching this year. He's done okay. In camp, um, their intra-squad games, which, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to tell just exactly how competitive they are or how representative what we're seeing on the field during intra-squad games is of what we can expect from players during the regular season. But looks like he's going to get to play against both sides of the platoon to this point. He's looking for a massive bounce-back season. Obviously, last season he was demoted to the the minors at, at one point, really struggled with the swing and, and got all screwed up. But he's going to try to get back to kind of the... 825, 850 OPS guy that he was um, earlier in his career with Boston and uh, in Milwaukee. So he'll be there. And then also I would expect we'll see a little bit of uh, Joe Panic playing third base as well. He's joined the Blue Jays from from the Giants. and He's going to kind of fill in at a bunch of different positions around the diamond. And then uh, kind of the dark horse deep cut candidate would be Santiago Espinal, who is a, a prospect on his way up. Utility guy came over in the Steve Pierce trade from Boston. He's really impressed in camp. So he, I think he's going to factor into this team at some point this year, play some third, some short, some second, uh, and maybe a little bit of corner, uh, corner outfield as well. Yeah, Travis Shaw is an interesting guy too. I mean, I have a, 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 a little a bit of a connection off the field with him in you know, I know his family and his son has a, uh, a medical condition. Actually, my son has a, the same medical condition that his does. So I'm sure he's been very much, you know, either behind the scenes with Toronto talking about the different health options or, you know, what's happening because, you know, he's got family that's that's uh, that's of high risk as well. So there's there's so many of those considerations, too, when you're looking at the players and like what they're dealing with their families as well as, you know, considerations whether to play or to opt out or if you are playing, what that situation is is going going to be. So um, yeah, really interesting guy. Side note, personal personal side is I, I root for him on the field because of some things he does off the field. But um, it'll be good to see if he can get a bounce back. They uh, the, the, Obviously, the, the offense being the a big focus of what the Blue Jays are going to be doing. I think, you know, I've, I've kind of taken this 60-game this, uh, sprint and looked at it and see what teams can really get off fast. I think some of the the teams that make a lot of contact, the the, the teams that can can really go bat to ball could probably jump out pretty fast, I think, in the, in this type of season. But how do you think that this type of season will translate with the, you know, the the, the personnel and the youthfulness of this team? How do you think it do you think it's a, a, something that will help them um, or something that will be a detriment? Well I can say for certain that they are confident as all hell. And that is something that, that like has been a hallmark of Bo Bichette and uh, Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as well to a certain extent is that like these kids just, you know, wake up like ready to, you know, take the world by the balls. Like that is just their mentality. Um, and, and maybe part of that is just being young and just like you don't know what you don't know. Um, and maybe part of that is that like they actually do know that they're really good and they're really talented. You know, Bo Bichette made it to the big leagues at the age of 21 
and had a fantastic big league debut. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was obviously the top prospect in all of baseball and, you know, made to the big leagues, was an above average hitter at the highest level at the age of 20 when, you know, some players hadn't even been drafted yet at, at 20. Kevin Biggio went from someone who's considered an, an organizational guy to an above average hitter and defender at second base at the big league levels. So there is definitely a lot of confidence internally and the Blue Jays, you know, those players will be happy to tell you, like, they believe that they're going to be a lot better than the rest of us believe that they're going to be. Um, the rest of us don't necessarily believe they're going to be very good for a number of reasons. Uh, part of it being the inexperience uh, that we're talking about here. Like it's kind of hard to bet on young players when there's so much volatility involved and when there's so little track record. It's it's sort of hard to you know pencil guys in for okay he is likely to produce this or he is likely to do that because you just don't know yet. Um, we we haven't kind of seen their their careers play out. There's a lot of volatility. With young players and part of that volatility is that you could get the like you know high outcome like the the great outcome of you know Bobachek goes off and like wins a batting title and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wins a home, home run title or you could get the sophomore slump outcome you could get the other side of that volatility so there's that there's also a question of whether this team has enough pitching Hunjin Ryu is is an ace and a, and a fantastic pitcher atop the, the the staff, but then after him, you're relying on Matt Shoemaker, who has been good when healthy, but has had a lot of injury troubles throughout his career. Tanner Roark, who um, you know in at, on his best day is a league average pitcher, and on his worst day is is a lot a lot worse than that. And then you're dealing with um, again young unproven guys like Trent Thornton or Ryan Barucki, Anthony Kay who came over from the Mets and Marcus Stroman deal so there isn't a lot of certainty there as well and then you look at the competitiveness of the teams that the play the the, the Jays are playing not only in the AL East with you know the Yankees and the Rays and the Red Sox who are all good clubs but the NL East who the Blue Jays will be playing their interleague series against who have the the Mets and the Braves and the defending World Series na uh, Nationals and the Phillies, you know, of this kind of 10-team pool that, uh, you know, the Blue Jays and the Yankees are in, I would put the Blue Jays as like the eighth best team on paper. Um, and they could certainly exceed that. But I think that just coming into it, you have to look at them as, you know, only better than the Orioles and Marlins. I don't think they're better than any of the other teams in this division. So their, their schedule is going to be really tough and their quality of competition is going to be really high. And then the final layer is that it's a 60-game road trip and they're never going to truly be at home, truly be in their own beds, um, you know, truly have that sense of comfort and be in a stadium that they call their own. So I just think that the, the odds are stacked way, way, way too high against this team, but internally they are very confident. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of those, uh, the guys that you mentioned, the pedigree kind of breeds that confidence, I think, too, right? You have a couple, uh, you have some guys there that are Hall of Famers and and then one with a, you know, an, a very good uh, major league career, like that, that rolls downhill a little bit. These guys were probably confident from a young, from a young age, and then it translates up. So I, I think that can definitely help a, a young clubhouse for sure, just because they've, they've got people who have, um, they've seen it before. They know the you know, that, what that veteran presence can look like as well. So um, it'll be interesting. I think, I think you're pretty spot on as far as the, the, the way they stack up. The NL East is good. Uh, the Marlins really are the only slouch of that, of that division. All of those other teams are going to be very tough battles for the American League East uh, opponents going in there. And then um, the Orioles, like you said, the Orioles and the Marlins are probably the two outliers there with the Blue Jays. I see as a thorn. I think that the the potential with their offense is is one of those um, that will definitely be a problem. And then when reuse on the mound, definitely. I mean, he's he's definitely something to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. So 
it'll be interesting how this whole thing plays out. But um, uh, as far as you, as far as like the guys covering the team, what is that starting to look like? Are you guys going to be just camped in Toronto and, and doing everything from afar, similar to? Uh, I know that the Yankees beat writers are all, a lot of Zoom, a lot of uh, even the even the games were just so weird. We saw Yankees Mets with uh, Michael Kay and David Cohn calling the game from Yankee Stadium while they were playing at City Field. So strange times. What is it going to look like for you guys? Yeah, for now we're going to be doing everything off of television and and Zooms because the the club isn't going to be in Toronto at all. And uh, as you know, I know that we aren't traveling at least to begin the season. We'll kind of depend on how things evolve. And like as was the case with you know the Blue Jays playing in Toronto or not, a lot of it's going to depend on you guys in the United States and on how the the pandemic evolves in the U.S. Um, because I look if the uh, and like I, I'm not gonna I'm not trying to be a Canadian guy coming on the American podcast here, but like if the U.S. had done a better job of controlling the pandemic, I think the Blue Jays would be playing in Toronto. Um, our public health officials just looked at the cross border travel between Florida a number of times, between Atlanta, Georgia, and saying, yeah, no, we're we're not opening ourselves up to that level of risk. So if numbers improve in the U.S. and the situation improves and we can, you know, see travel being something that is safer for Canadians. Um, then I, I think there could be a potential for some travel later on in, in the year for, for us. But right now, it's just from a safety standpoint, just not something that we are willing to do. Um, so we're going to be right now soon. And the, the same thing with our broadcasters, guys like Dan Schulman and, and Buck Martinez and our radio guys, Ben Wagner and Mike Wilner. They're going to be broadcasting off of screens remotely from Toronto. So that's going to be very interesting to see, you know, what kind of challenges that creates um, and, and what kind of product we're able to put out for people. But, you know, no matter no matter what happens, we're going to cover this team one way or another. Cool, man. Nothing you're saying is wrong. It's uh, there's a there's a lot of observations that are pretty spot on. So um, unfortunately, we are in this situation, but at least we do have some baseball where these guys are able to play. Um, Blue Jays do have a, a battle with uh, being on the road for the entire time. So uh, Arden, man, appreciate you coming on. This is uh, always fun to, to chat with you. Glad you're doing, you know, as well as can be and, and, and keep it safe up there. Um, but yeah, during, during the season, I'm sure we'll at some point talk again. But um Thanks for coming on, man. And, if, and guys, if you want to follow and keep up with the Toronto Blue Jays, go check out and follow Arden on Twitter or at Arden Zwelling on Twitter. You can find out all uh, all the things you need to know about the Toronto Blue Jays. Cheers, man. Appreciate you having me. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.